Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. We were first drawn to foster care when I was working as a psychiatric nurse for adolescent boys and I saw the abuse that was done in their homes and sometimes in their foster care homes as well. And I felt that if the church could just step in and prevent that abuse from happening, we could drastically change the trajectory of their lives. And it got to the point that I could no longer look at them in the eyes knowing what I knew and seeing what I saw and continue to do nothing about it. When we got our first phone call for a placement, I had a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and I was pregnant with my fourth, but I knew I could give them six months. And they said, that's fine, that's all we need. She already has a home to go to. And so we went to the hospital, we picked up baby Jane, and we brought her home. Well, a month later, we received a phone call from the caseworker saying that our timeline had changed and was no longer six months, but that she would likely be with us for up to a year. We started praying because we couldn't imagine giving her to another home that we didn't know, knowing what could possibly happen to her. But I also felt like we really couldn't care for her when I had my own newborn. And when I called them and told them that we could take her longer, but I couldn't take her for the full year, they said, we're going to have to take her now. Don't worry. You're going to get to hear the rest of the story. (laughs) Just a little bit. In fact, uh, over the next two weeks, you're going to get to hear the full story because it really is an extraordinary story of community and people coming around each other, all for the good of baby Jane. This uh, next two weeks, this Sunday and next, and then next Sunday night, for us are an annual event that we come around to every single year called The Stand. And The Stand is really all about um, how to partner with, to join with families and children. What does it look like as the church to come around what are often the most vulnerable in our communities. And um, if you know our story at all, for my wife and I, um, this is something that is near and dear to our hearts um, as foster parents and adoptive parents and the journey that God's taken us on over the years. um, uh, It's actually a really big deal to us. I don't know if you know this, but um, when it comes to the numbers of children who are in foster care currently, who either need forever homes or children who just need someplace safe so that reunification can happen with their biological family. Um, The church, if she stood up and played her part, could eradicate the need for safe homes for kids. And we've said this for years now that not everybody can do the same thing, but everyone can do something. In other words, um, I would just tell you, um, uh, for Kitri and I and our journey along the way, um, foster care is not for the faint of heart. If you're doing it to scratch your own ego or to meet your own emotional needs, you're in for a ride that you don't wanna go on. Like, you actually need to understand the reason because it's actually not about you, it's about them. And what does it look like to provide a safe place? Maybe it's a forever place, maybe it's a temporary place, but 
The reality is that for Kitri and I, in our lives, um, there is nothing that we have done to date that has taught us more about the message of the gospel than this journey. Um, Man, I didn't even get emotional in the other two services. I don't know what's up with you guys. (laughs) Settle down, quit emoting so much or something. My goodness. But for us, um, uh, the reality is that as we've headed out on this journey, and we felt like God prepared our hearts in advance, um, but the truth is, when you look at the story of the gospel, at the end of the day, Jesus is willing, right, to lay his life down. It's for the joy set before him that he endures the shame of the cross. And what does it look like to lay down your life so that someone else could experience new life? Right? And so how many of you in here um, would say, you don't have to be ashamed of this because we're in church, um, but you also don't have to lie. But um, how many of you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Like, I've come into the family of God. And you understand fundamentally what you're saying is that you have experienced adoption. The scriptures are clear on this point. It is by the spirit of adoption that we cry, Dad to the sovereign God of all the universe, who through Jesus, who was willing to pay the price so that you and I could become a part of the forever family of God with all the rights and privileges of the natural born kids. That's what adoption is. In adoption, my girls are not second class in my home, they're my kids. Like I would defend them in the same way I would defend any child that belonged in my home, like they're my kids. Unfortunately for our natural born son, Caleb is now our inheritance, which is nothing by the way, is divided into four parts because we have four (laughs) kids. Like we're in it for life with them. And the truth is that as we've headed out on that journey, we've discovered more and more of what it means to actually be in relationship with Jesus and the price he was willing to pay so that we could experience forever family with God. Listen, I can get all kinds of fired up about all of that, but here's what we're gonna do. We're actually gonna talk this week and then next week about what does it look like to have community around you and to build community around others so that you can thrive as we step into these kinds of issues as a church. And that wall out there on the back of that camera booth right there, the um, heart gallery, I double dog dare you to go spend some time reading those stories. And just prepare yourself because your heart will be rent. Like, you'll be like, I gotta do something. I gotta participate. I gotta find a way. Every time I go on their website, I come home and I'm like, Kitri, I found six more kids we need to take in. And she's like, "Ah, can we find some great families to take them in? And every year as a church, when we get to this season, kids who are on that wall right now end up being adopted by people in our church over the course of the year. It happened last year. It happened the year before that. It's gonna happen again this year, but be praying about what God would have you do. Not everyone can do the same thing, but everyone can do something. And so what does it look like to be a community that empowers us to be able to meet a very real and tangible need in our state? All right, you ready yet? I can keep talking until you're ready. I mean, all right, here we go. If you're a note-taking type, which all good Christians are, or not, I don't care. Uh, But here's seven words, all starting with the letter I, just so I could remember them. Oh, wait, I just got my steps in for the day. Look at that. Um, Seven words, starting with the letter I. If you're the note-taking type, you can write them down. Incomplete, independent, improvement, incapacitated, which is what I plan on doing to a moose later this season. Interdependent. 
dependent, incoming, and indestructible. Got it? Incomplete, independent, improvement, incapacitated, interdependent, incoming, and indestructible. All right, here we go. Over the next 75 minutes, we're gonna hit all of those. Just kidding about that, mostly. My title today is, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up. Incomplete. In the beginning, the very beginning of the story of the scriptures, Genesis chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three are the narrative of God's creation of the world. And at each and every step of the narrative, God is saying, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, that's so good. Each and everything that he creates. So it's the heavens and the earth, the sea, the animals, the fish that are in the ocean, the birds that are flying in the air. God creates all of it. And then he creates man. Out of the dust of the earth, he creates man. He breathes life into the man, and man becomes a living being. And this will be the first time in the account when God says, it's not so good. It's in reference to something specific, but there's an element of it maybe you've missed before and I had missed before. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. There are all kinds of reasons for this, like microwaves hadn't been invented yet so he couldn't feed himself, like clothing choices, all of it, but no clothes. Anyways, kind of funny when I thought about it. Um, uh, the reality is that he says, man, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man and he's like, it's not good that man should be alone. And maybe you've never really thought about this, but is man alone at this moment? He, he is, I mean, he's got all the creatures, right, that have been created. And if you've ever met like, you know, hermits or trappers, which there are a fair number of here in Alaska, they're like, oh, I got me and my dog, I'm just fine. Like, but the animals weren't sufficient to meet the need, right? In fact, God brings all the animals to Adam and none of them are like, right, even the dog. The cat didn't even exist because the fall hadn't happened yet, but <laughs> as far as dogs and stuff go. So it's not good, but, but then he has... God, like man, Adam, is in the presence of God, unhindered, unfettered relationship, physical, tangible relationship. They go for walks, according to the scriptures, in the garden, in the cool of the day. Man's not alone, and yet what's being identified here is that he is missing a relationship that is critical. But even in this scenario, what God is declaring is that it is not sufficient even that Adam has God present with him because Adam was actually created for relationship with humanity. And so he forms woman, he brings them together, and now this picture is complete because Adam was actually created not just for relationship with God and not just for relationship with the created world, but he was created for relationship with humanity, for fellowship, for intimacy, for all of those things, and until that existed, it was incomplete, which is worth thinking about for a moment when we love to choose living in isolation instead of in community, which we're prone to do. The passage that we're gonna be in for the rest of our time today is Ecclesiastes chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, but Ecclesiastes four, verses nine through 12. Here's what it says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Which brings me to independent. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word independent, but what comes to mind for me almost immediately is the declaration of independence. Right, that document where we said, listen, you're not in charge of us anymore, England. We don't even like tea. In fact, we are our own bosses and we are going to declare our independence as a nation. We don't need you. I don't even care what Julia Bowles thinks. Like, <laughs> we're America. And, and so we declared our independence, which is national independence, but it also sort of hardwired something in us as Americans, which is an independent Spirit, And when I think of Alaskans in particular, that's also the word that comes to mind, independent. So many of us actually moved here to get away from all those people out there, right? In particular, California. But we came here because we were like, I don't like it. And I want to stand up on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I think about my friends who were like homesteaders back in the day, my first commercial fishing skipper who like moved to Homer when there was a dirt road and they had to drive in in a dozer and they put up a shanty of a place wrapped in visqueen and lived in the winter in that thing and hiked literally to school uphill both ways in the snow. Like, I mean, independence is hardwired into our culture in particular here. And yet the reality is that independence can be different than isolation. And we often choose isolation in our quest for independence. And when the scriptures talk about this issue of isolation, they say some really startling things. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 18, verses one and two, listen to what it says. Whoever isolates himself or herself seeks their own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. You met those people, right, before where you thought you were in a conversation with one another, you thought we were learning from one another, and then you discovered they were just waiting for you to quit talking so they could teach you? That they weren't actually listening, they were actually just waiting to express their own opinion, and you realized we aren't actually having a conversation, we aren't actually having a dialogue or a mutual exchange of ideas. They position themselves to exclusively be the teacher, and it's interesting when I look at this passage because I think it identifies three things that isolation is rooted in. Isolation is actually rooted in something else that leads you towards isolation. The first one is this, selfishness. Uh, he who isolates himself, it's interesting, it doesn't say he's a fool. It says he seeks his own desire. Like the reason that that individual isolates themselves from others is out of selfishness which is interesting to think about because I think about many of us in isolation, we actually don't like being in isolation, but we sort of think, well, no one wants to be around me or it's, but here's sort of what we say in this, in this arena. Um, it's too risky to invite you in. 
to let you see what my life is like, to let you see what's really going on. It's just too risky. Men think this way in particular. Like, um, it's too costly to be in community. It's gonna require something of me. It may require sharing my resources. It may be require sharing my heart. It may let you in to take a glimpse into what's going on in my life. And that seems too risky to me. I don't want to do that. But actually, when you choose not to let other people in, you aren't the only one who's missing out on something. We're also missing out on something because you won't let us in. We actually need that from one another and it's actually selfish to withhold it. He who isolates himself does so for self-preservation because he seeks his own well-being over the well-being of those around him. The second thing that I see is a root of isolation is rebellion, not just selfishness, but also rebellion. This is sort of what we think, right? Um, don't you tell me what to do, right? You don't know what's best for me. Maybe I do. You ever thought about that? I'm not saying maybe I do because I'm a pastor. I'm just saying maybe you know what's best for me. But I posture myself, right, in this position of rebellion, right, like, you don't know what's best for me. And yet the reality is we have a really difficult time seeing ourselves for who we really are. And we need truth tellers in our life who will step up to the plate and say, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you what's best for you. And we believe them. And yet we're hardwired to believe, no, you don't know what's best for me. You don't know my whole, you don't know all the excuses that I have. But man, that's all they are, excuses. Maybe I do know what's best for you. Would you be willing to receive it if I did? Maybe you know what's best for me, and would I be willing to receive it if you did? It's actually rebellion, this idea that I exclusively, I'm the master of my ship, I'm the captain of my soul, I'm the one who knows what's best for me. How dare you tell me what's best for me? Good luck. We will learn, theoretically. It's just a lot more painful to learn in a place of rebellion. He who isolates himself is selfish and rebellious, and the third one is this, pride. And this one is um, where, uh, listen, I, I, I'm not engaging in this relationship because I have something to learn. I'm engaging in this relationship because I have something to teach. I find the older I get, the more life experiences that I have, I sort of default there. Like relationships I enter into, I'm like, I'm here to teach and I have to remind myself, no, I'm not. I'm also here to learn because you have something to offer me and I actually have something to offer you as well. But if I choose pride, I believe every relationship I engage in, I'm actually the teacher in the relationship. And people know when they're in that kind of relationship with you. Here's the interesting thing. Isolation is not actually described as an absence of people or input it is describing an absence of interest and receptivity. You can be in a room full of people and be isolated. In fact, some of us are right now. You could be in a room full of people. You could be in a life group. You could actually be, this is gonna come as a shocker, you could actually be in a marriage and be isolated because it isn't about whether people are around you. It's all about your interest level in community and your receptivity to the input of others. You know what I'm saying, you, I'm saying we, right? Okay, good. <laughs> so why does community and relationship matter and why is isolation insanity? I am so glad you asked that. Like I knew you were going to, I even wrote it down in my notes. And so 
Let's dig into it. Let's unpack Ecclesiastes 4, which brings me to improvement. How many of you uh, say, man, there are some areas I need to improve. I would like to improve in my life. If you didn't raise your hand, talk to me later. I can help you identify some, <laughs> I'm sure, real quick. Like um, Improvement, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two people are better off than one. Which is, I've been chewing on this for a little while. Like, is that true? I've been thinking for a couple of weeks now, like, are there scenarios in which two is not better than one? There's only one that came to mind for me over and over again. And so I went out in the hallway here this last week and asked our staff, I said, can you guys think of a time when two is not better than one? And they identified the one I had thought of immediately, when you're pooping. <laughs> I only said pooping in this service. I said in the bathroom in the other services, just so you know. Uh, uh, um, I was like, that's the one I thought of is two. Uh, that's the one, two, and three. Uh, anyways, the, and, and like, ladies, you don't understand this because in your bathrooms, you've got these little stalls, these little privacy chambers. But in the men's, they've got these teeny tiny little sheets of paper in between the guys, you know, things. And she's like, hey, hey, don't talk to me. It's weird. Like, I don't have any great points from the sermon right now. I'm just, leave me alone. Can these things be taller? I don't understand. Anyways, it's like, but, but the reality is that, sure, I'll give you that one. But then one of my staff, I won't name who, Jonas, um, actually had another one as well. He immediately said, when you're eating dessert. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mackie family, um, that he is so selfish in, in that way. But, but it, it registered for me. Most of the things that I could think of where I would say it's better to be by myself than it is with someone else are actually rooted in one of two things, shame or selfishness. Like, I actually don't want to share this with someone else. I don't want anyone else to know about this. I don't want anyone else to experience this. That either selfishness or I'm too embarrassed about this. I'm too ashamed of this part of my life. But actually, when I say it's better to be alone, almost everything I can think of is actually rooted in either shame or selfishness as my reason. Mm, that's a good word. I know that's why I said it this time. You could, this is really important to understand, you could choose to live in isolation. You could choose to live the independent life. But that isn't really the question. The question is, is that how you want to live? Because when you look at the scriptures and when you look at these passages, I would say it this way. The question is not, is it possible to live the independent life? The question is actually, is it better to live the independent life? Until you've experienced real community, you may have convinced yourself that the independent life, the isolated life, is a better life. It's a safer life, but it actually isn't, which brings me to incapacitated. Uh, my mom's birthday is coming up on Tuesday, uh, but we celebrated it um, last night, and we were trying to figure out what we should get her for a gift, and so um, Kitri and the girls and I were all talking. My mom heard this for the first time in last service. Sorry, mom. Um, uh, but uh, we were trying to figure out what gift to get her, and so we were asking the kids, and one of my um, girls said, uh, hand sanitizer, and if you know my mom, that's really funny, because like, she's a nurse, and right, germs and Jesus are everywhere, so wash your hands, like uh, change your underwear. Like, um, and, and so hand sanitizer, and then another one of the girls is like, life alert. <laughs> I 
I shouldn't have, but we laughed so hard when, when she said it because um, they've been, they've been what, uh, channel 2.2 is where all the old TV shows like Wonder Woman and MacGyver, and so on Saturday mornings, we, we watch, we call her Wonder Wear Woman, um, but we watch Wonder Woman and MacGyver, and, um, and, and so they see the Life Alert commercials on that channel, and they're always like, so Life Alert, that's what we should get grandma, and I said, you're evil, uh, but, but that is really, really funny. Um, and, and now, you've seen the commercial before, but the whole thing is built around, I've fallen, and I can't get up, and I know that day's coming for me, sooner rather than later, probably, but, but um, and so if you're all by yourself, then you're in trouble, but life alert, if you have one in the shower, you have one around your neck, you've got, like, they can put them everywhere, and you just push the button, and help is on the way. And I was thinking about this in reference to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, um, specifically verse 10. Like, Life Alert missed a great opportunity to sell their product to every Christian on the planet, because Ecclesiastes 4 verse 10 is the Life Alert verse. Here's what it says. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone needs life alert. <laughs> Someone who falls alone is in real trouble, right? You remember the story of Aaron Ralston, the 27-year-old kid who went bouldering all by himself, left his phone in the car, didn't tell anyone where he was going, intentionally chose to go out all by himself, and an 800-pound rock dislodged, came down as he tried to shove himself away from it. His hand and wrist and forearm got caught between the boulder and the wall in the canyon. And for 127 hours, he tried with everything in him to get himself out of the situation that he got himself into. Took his climbing gear, he attached it, tried to create a pulley system, but this 800-pound boulder was not going to move. And it began to dawn on him more and more over time. If you've ever seen the film, 127 Hours, it's his story. It began to dawn on him that I am all alone and I am in real trouble. And he realizes that his little multi-tool with the uber doll blade in it is the only way that he's going to be able to get himself out of the situation that he's in by severing his own arm, breaking the bone, and releasing himself from his predicament. Here's what I'm saying. It is possible that you could survive a lifetime of isolation, but it will cost you. You will pay a price for it over time, and you don't know what that price is right now, but he who falls alone is in real trouble. You were created for community, and the moment will arise when that community may be the very thing that saves you. Sure, you could survive and live in isolation for all your life, but is it how you wanna live? Which brings me to interdependent. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Which can sound like a really romantic passage if you're thinking about a marriage or something, but for me, what comes to mind immediately is the most horrific situation that a man can think about in Alaska in the wilderness in the winter when you fall through a river and now you've got hypothermia, you know what you have to do, right? 
The two of you have to get naked and climb into a sleeping bag together in order to warm back up. And I'm like, nope, I choose death. <laughs> like, I can't think of a scenario like where I now have hypothermia, I'm soaking wet, and Mike Michaud and I are out camping together, and Mike's like, well, you know what we gotta do? And I'm like, yeah, shoot me. Like, that's, that's what we gotta, like, like, there's only one way to warm me up in that situation, and that actually requires really uncomfortable proximity, right? Like, in order for the transfer of body heat to another body, we gotta be close. I mentioned one of my other friends in the last service, Landon, and he texted me in between. He said, would you just clarify that we're gonna be back-to-back? -back? I'm like, I didn't know I needed to, but for you, I will. Like, you know, whatever. I mean, but the reality is, like, it actually requires a really uncomfortable level of proximity and intimacy, and it's what it's describing in the passage. It's not describing, like, you two are married and you wanna snuggle. It's like, you're gonna die if you don't get warmed up, and the only way to get warmed up is to be close enough. Is there anyone close enough in your life that they could rescue you in that moment because they actually know where you are, and they could transfer encouragement from them to you. They could transfer wisdom from them to you. They could transfer hope from them to you. That actually requires letting people into your life if you're going to experience that in the moment you need it most. I also apologize for the images now in your mind for the rest of it. Mike, I'm sorry. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> We've never done it, just to be clear. I don't know why he's saying you're welcome. Anyways, okay. So glad we're not online for this service. <laughs> Listen, in the story that you heard in the beginning of the service, the, the truth is when problems arise, proximity becomes paramount. Is there anyone near enough to know the situation that you find yourself in? And what this couple describes in the beginning, you're going to discover that there were people close enough in their life to come to their rescue in that moment. Check out the rest of the story. When we first heard that Hannah and Scott were getting a foster placement, the Lord put it on our heart to pray for baby Jane. And while we were praying, um, we just really felt that the Lord put it on our heart that they would need rest. And so then we offered to take baby Jane for the weekend. And um, as the weekend approached and got closer, we found out that through Han and Scott that her placement was going to be extended. And that's when the Holy Spirit told me to offer to take her. And so I offered to take her and I knew that um, they needed the help. So uh, we'd been foster parents for many years now, so the idea of bringing a new baby to the home wasn't uh, intimidating or a big deal to us, but this time was different. We had uh, a group of friends um, with Scott and Hannah to, to help and the support from a life group and um, to help us in a way we, we never thought to ask for before, but... Uh, saw the impact it made on, on our life and caring for baby Jane. Did you hear what he said? Like we've been involved in foster care for years, but this time was different. Like we had placed ourselves, we had put ourselves in a position where we knew people and they knew us and we weren't in it alone. 
that it increased their capacity, it increased their strength, which brings me to incoming, because when you hear that word incoming, like something's coming your way, and you didn't know it was coming, but are there people close enough in that moment that when it all goes sideways, they can join you in the middle of it? In fact, it's the last verse in this passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. I had a guy come to me, Rollin, after the last service, and he told me a story about um, he and a friend of his who were out um, hunting. They had shot um, a goat, and they started to work on it, but it had gotten dark, and um, they didn't feel like they could get off of the mountain, and so they decided to stay there, and they began to hear an animal. Couldn't see it, but they could hear an animal just making the rounds around their kill, he says, so they took the sheepskin, they wrapped it around the two of them, they sat back to back, and they just watched the whole night long in order to avoid being attacked. The, the truth is that you and I will come into situations in our lives where we have experienced attack. In fact, the more you choose to join Jesus in what he's doing in the world, the more you will experience that very thing. He's describing the strength that comes from being together in that moment instead of isolated. In fact, in Philippians chapter one, verses 27 and 28, Paul references this same idea talking to the early church because you need to understand something. It's actually the early church. In the Roman world, if you didn't want the kid that you had, you could, it's called exposing it. You could just leave it out in the elements. You could throw it on a trash heap and it could just die naturally out there, and it was actually the early church that went around rescuing these kids off of rubble piles and really starting the very first foster care and adoption in the world. State agencies have taken it over now. It's still the mission of the church even to this day, but it was actually started and initiated by people who understood what it was meaning when we were brought into a forever family of God. Why would I withhold that from others who are in dire straits? And as they participated in this, many people celebrated them and many people wanted to eliminate the early believers. And so they were in very real risk of being in harm's way. And here's how Paul describes the need for them in Philippians 1, 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together. You must live above everything else. Live like you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Here's how I'll know that happened, whether I get to come in person or whether I just hear about it. You're standing together, not alone. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Have you ever been in a situation where you wished you had somebody with you? I'll never forget years ago, hunting down on the peninsula, I was out um, at a friend's cabin and I decided to go and sit in this muskeg for the evening. And in order to get to the muskeg, I actually had to drive through an area they called Spookville. Just this creepy trail through all the cottonwood trees and it opens up to this muskeg. And so I had driven over there by myself and I'm sitting, I left the four-wheeler about a mile back, I hiked in and I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I'm watching till it's dark. It's dark now and I'm hiking back to the four-wheeler. And I hear a wolf howl. 
I mean, it feels like it's right there. And then I hear another one. And another one. And another one. And suddenly there were eight million wolves in my mind's eye, right? Like, I could not get back to that four-wheeler fast enough. You can't imagine in that sort of moment how much you wish you had somebody else with you that you could trip while you ran. <laughs> like, I mean, the reality is that often if we end up in situations where we're all by ourselves, those are the moments you wish you had built community. You wish you had let other people in. You wish that you weren't standing alone. That's the invitation of the scriptures, which brings me to this last piece, indestructible. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, the second half of it. Three, not just two, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Remember the Genesis passage that we started with? In the garden, you got Adam. It's not good that man should be alone, but God's present, so he creates a woman. Now you've got community, you've got relationship, you've got fellowship, you've got intimacy, but they weren't created to be in that alone. They were actually created to be in that with God. And that third strand is actually where the strength of the relationship comes from because in the beginning, the relationship between Adam and Eve is really good and eventually it actually becomes their downfall. You know what happens is they take their eyes off of the third braid in the strand. They take their eyes off of God and when Eve takes her eyes off of God and when Adam takes his eyes off of God and puts it on Eve exclusively, suddenly that relationship that started as something really good is now actually something really destructive. And some of us in this room are still in relationships that actually are really destructive. When you and I step away from that relationship with God and we focus exclusively on these relationships with one another, it's only a matter of time before we become vulnerable because we've eliminated the source of our strength in the relationship. It's the relationship with God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33 and 34, it makes a really startling statement because it isn't just community that's important, it's the right community that's important. Did you hear me? It isn't just relationships that are important, it's the right relationships that are important. And so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, do not be misled, don't be tricked, don't be fooled, don't let someone convince you otherwise, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. You know what's startling about that passage? Is it doesn't say bad company corrupts bad company or bad company makes bad character worse. The person started with good character. Like they had come to a place of health and wholeness. They understood what was right and what was wrong. And now because they choose to stay in this relationship, the gravitational pull is towards corruption and bad company corrupts good character. In fact, often when people are thinking about dating relationships and you ask them, like, is that person a believer? No, but I'm going to be the one to influence them. That is rarely the case. I'm not saying it's impossible. You can probably think of an anomaly, but it's not wisdom according to the scriptures. 
bad company corrupts good character. When I first came to Jesus, like I had just been living however I wanted to live. And all of my relationships were really caustic relationships. And they're people I love, even to this day, people I love. But when I met Jesus, I immediately knew I've got to find a new community because this one's heading a direction I'm not going, and they're not willing to change their direction. Even if they love me, they're not willing to change their direction. I'm actually going to be pulled back in this direction if I don't find a new place to engage in relationship and community. I have lots of friends who aren't followers of Jesus, but my friendships that are influence in my life are followers of Jesus, because I need that. I need good company. I need good company who helps build good character in my life. And sometimes I'm the source of strength for them. Sometimes they're the source of strength for me in those moments. But don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's not just being in community. It's being in the right kind of community that matters. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Next uh, week, we're going to look at the how. This week, we're really looking at why does community matter? Why is it important? That's the case I'm trying to make today is for you to understand it actually is critical and it is important and the right community is important. But next week, what we're going to look at is the how. We're going to address some of the key things that maybe have been barriers for you in terms of engaging in community. We're going to ask what part is our responsibility and what part is other people's responsibility. But we're going to dig into that next week and then next Sunday night. And I love this. In this room, um, we are going to have numerous state agencies, numerous nonprofits are going to be in this room. Beacon Hill, Safe Families, Heart Gallery, OCS is going to be here, like lots of different groups. And over the years, we've been doing this for several years now, over the years, state agencies like OCS have come to our church and said, we love what you're doing. Can we promote this? with all of our foster families. So I don't know who's gonna show up next Sunday night. All I can tell you is that there is a hunger for what the church has to offer. And we were called to be a solution to a major problem in our world. And so next Sunday night, I'm gonna invite you to come out, figure out what your part is. Not everyone can do the same thing, but everyone can do something. So what is your thing? So that's gonna be next Sunday night, 6.30 to eight o'clock right here in this room. So here's what I want to leave you with. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. If it was near in that day, it's nearer in our day for sure. But here's what he's not saying, because I've heard pastors preach this passage before, and they've used it to say, you need to show up in this room on a Sunday so that I feel good about my church, and I'm preaching to a lot of people instead of a couple of people. But it's actually not about that at all. This idea of gathering together, not, a, not forsaking assembling together, is actually about you. Not about me, or not about the size of our church. It's actually describing real relationship and community. It's describing the place where we can encourage one another. And sure, that can happen on a Sunday. That's our intention on a Sunday. But what you really need is what happens outside of this room. That's what he's talking about when he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need what Christian community has to offer. All of its forms can be terrifying. I get it. 
but it's actually necessary for us. Jesus, we just say thanks. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to do what we do here, to come together, to sing, to celebrate, to listen, to learn, to share, to say hi to one another. But would you teach us what it means to be in real community and relationship with one another? The vulnerability that's required, the transparency that's required, the effort that is required on our part, but also the power that comes with it. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and may that three braided strand bring power in our lives and power to the life of the church here in the valley and around the world. And we say we love you in Jesus' name. Prayer ministry teams are gonna be up here ready, available to pray with you. I love you, Church on the Rock. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.